You're listening to the Direct Care Derm. My name is Stephen. I'm a board-certified dermatologist and direct care dermatology practice owner. I'm also your host. The Direct Care Derm is a podcast that gives you a blueprint for creating a direct care practice of your own with the help of my story as I'm living it and the stories of many friends and colleagues, both within dermatology and other fields of medicine and in relevant non-medical fields, such as marketing and finance. Each week, my friends and I will be bringing you tips, resources, education, entertaining stories, industry insights, and so much more. Consider this your one-stop shop for taking yourself from direct care curiosity to direct care mastery. At this point, you may find yourself asking, what is direct care? Direct care is the restoration of the therapeutic physician-patient relationship and the trust between patient and physician that has eroded so terribly over the last several decades. Direct care is addition by subtraction. It's the opposite of indirect care, the kind of care that's so frustrating to both patients and doctors. If you or a doctor in your life has ever talked about being burned out in medicine, this is one of the biggest reasons why. Fortunately, there's something we can do about it. By removing as many barriers as possible that stand between physicians like myself and the people who need us, Direct care practices seek to provide transparent, affordable, accessible, and superior care that meets and ideally even surpasses the expectations of the 21st century healthcare consumer. This episode of the Direct Care Derm Podcast is brought to you by Above and Beyond Dermatology, my virtual direct care practice that is on a mission to raise the standard of care in dermatology. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to the Above and Beyond Dermatology newsletter at LlewellisMD.com or simply find me on Instagram, also at LlewellisMD. Follow me so your message will get to my inbox and DM me the word newsletter. If you want to get on the list and also get my free guide to starting and consistently using a topical retinoid on your skin, head over to retinoids, R-E-T-I-N-O-I-D-S dot LlewellisMD.com. You can also find links in the show notes. My primary focus with Above and Beyond Dermatology is helping people with chronic inflammatory skin diseases who haven't felt served, seen, or heard in the insurance-dependent dermatology market. The signature Above and Beyond framework for flipping the script on how you experience dermatology care might surprise you and can ultimately transform you if you're willing to put in the work. I also love to help with quicker things that simply need to be addressed in a timely manner. This reduces unnecessary suffering and possible misdiagnosis or mistreatment, as well as overall costs. The latter is a great alternative if you find yourself waiting three to six months or longer for an appointment with the in-network dermatologist closest to you. If you know any Wisconsin residents who may be in the market for a dermatologist, please share this with them. I'll gradually be obtaining licensure in other states so I can serve a broader geography. I don't contract with health insurance companies. I prefer to contract directly with my patients, clients, or customers, whatever term resonates most with you in the context of a health transformation. This direct connection helps restore the eroded physician-patient relationship, which is the essence of direct care. Simply call or text 715-391-9774 or email drlewellis, D-R-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-S, at aboveandbeyondderm.com for more information. There is no obligation.
I'm happy to hop on a call to discuss if I'm right for you or your family and teach you about my philosophy and approach. If I'm not the best person for the job, I'll do my best to help you get to someone who is. If you're not a Wisconsin resident but would like to pitch me on becoming licensed in your state, I'd love to talk to you as well. Now back to this week's episode. My guest on the show today is Dr. Bryce Bowers. Dr. Bowers is a family medicine physician currently in his last year of residency in Detroit, Michigan. He attended the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine in East Lansing, Michigan. Thereafter, he began his military career in intern year as a lieutenant in the United States Navy at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton. Returning home to Michigan to finish residency after serving his military commitment, he discovered a passion for physician wellness and burnout and now has created both a blog and a podcast, both known as Badge of Burnout, aiming to help normalize and understand the unique mental health struggles that physicians face. Dr. Bowers is currently working on writing a book, launching a public speaking career, learning about investing, and entering into physician coaching. As you listen, you'll learn just how much he has already learned so early in his career. The fact that he's already putting himself out there and sharing with other physicians in the community so that they might also learn something and get the help that he once got in his life to get him to where he is now is just incredible. I'm grateful that I'm able to bring part of him to you. Enjoy the episode. If any alerts or something come up, you can rest assured that you can ignore them. What's up, buddy? Oh, okay. Do you need anything? No. Okay. Love you. Um, okay. I'll be there. <laughs> the, that was really kind of him. I wasn't expecting that. Screens are a big part of life in general with little kids and there's a lot of balance, but that was really sweet of him what he just did there. I am very excited to have Dr. Bryce Bowers on the show with me today. We have a lot to talk about, and I already know, based on what I know about Bryce, that I'm going to be asking him to come back on the show. I know that he also has a fledgling show of his own. We have a lot in common. So Bryce, take it away. Morning, everybody. Stephen, thanks uh, for having me on today. This is my first official podcast interview, so I'm pretty pumped um, to be (laughs) getting into this space. My name is Bryce. I'm a third-year family medicine resident. Um, I'm based in Michigan, the Detroit area right now. Um, and I'm about five months from graduating. Um, so exciting. Um, I'll, I'll save most of my story for later, but just as a superficial introduction, I grew up here in Michigan. I've lived here for 31 years now. I still hate the winters more than anything in the world, but the summers are the best. I keep coming back here. I did medical school at Michigan State. I barely went to college, and so I'm pretty lucky to have gotten into medical school, I think. And I had a pretty good time in medical school. I actually really enjoyed it. And But the fear demons got a hold of me when I was in medical school because I finally came to realize that it's really expensive. So I, on a whim with my buddy, joined the, the Navy as part of a military scholarship because I just wasn't looking to pay all those loans back. I had an undergrad, a bunch of undergrad debt too. I did that with not a lot of research and a lot of money thrown in my face. And (laughs) next thing you know, as an intern, I shipped off to Camp Pendleton and near Oceanside in San Diego, California. And, And that's where a lot of my story starts and why I'm here today. And we'll get into that. I did my intern year there as a lieutenant in the United States Navy and the weather and every the lifestyle out there was unbeatable. It's a mm. full 180 compared to here. 
but that's really where I started to struggle a lot. And, and that's where the wheels came off for me when I was doing my intern year of residency. I'll cover the details of that, but I ended up getting out of the military, finishing my time, and then I moved back home here to Michigan and there was a break in my training and there was a big time of wondering if I would even go back into medicine. And, mm -hmm. and so I obviously am now back in medicine. So there's definitely some gaps to fill in there. I'm, I got back into a second year program and it's a wonderful program. I, I can't say enough about the residency program I'm in. I, I, I put shameless plugs in for it for all the time because I think it's one of the best that there could be. It's a true model of excellence in terms of residency wellness. They care about me. And so I'm so thankful for that. I'm about five months from graduating. I'm entering into this physician wellness and uh, mental health space. That's what I'm passionate about. I'm on fire about it. Started my blog, started my podcast, and I'm just having a blast. Work is incredibly stressful. Our job is not easy. I think it's just so important to have something outside of here to balance you out. And I think we struggle with that a lot. I got up this morning. I'm pumped to be here. I'm thrilled to be here doing this <laughs> stuff. It's just a lot of fun. I'm putting a lot of my free time into that, but also still working a bunch, of course, and thankful to have met you, Stephen. And I'm excited to do this thing. Let's do it. Thank you for that introduction. It leaves a lot of different, like you said, gaps to fill and places to explore right off the bat. And I want to work backwards a little bit. Uh, you were talking about how much you love this residency program that you have found yourself in now. Drop the name of the residency program. Uh, it, we just changed health systems, of course, gotcha. the mergers yes. and everything. But, <laughs> That's so hard. the way of the world. But mm -hmm. so we were Beaumont, which was a large health system over on the east side of the state here. And then we merged across the state with another system called Spectrum. So now we are called Corwell. But the original name of it was Beaumont Family Medicine in Gross Point, which is like a nice suburb of Detroit. And so so now okay. we are officially Corwell East Family Medicine Gross Point. It sounds like you're being taken care of and they care about you. They want you to get a good education. You're getting a good education, but they're not doing it at the expense of your health and well-being. And they understand that you will become ultimately a better doctor and a better leader if they address those other areas as well. The dermatology residency program at Stanford was amazing in that regard. I saw in the leaders at that time, uh, Dr. Paul Kavari, who was the chairman there, and at the time no longer is, but Dr. Kristen Nord, who was the director of the residency program while I was there, unbelievably hospitable and caring people. They cared a lot about uh, academics and taking care of patients and doing research. Stanford at the biggest dermatology re uh, research uh, division in the country, as far as I know, uh, but they cared most about people. That's really what drew me to it. It seems like we feel similarly about the places that I trained and where you still are training. And if you ever end up being involved in training people, you're going to pass that on. You're going to be that way. I think way more of us then we think struggling in the dark, struggling and not telling anyone, especially the medical school to internship, to residency, to attending physician road. A lot of what my family medicine doctor calls anxious achievers, that yeah. type of person does, is used to doing really well their whole life crushing it, figuring everything out and hiding everything like the duck, serene on the top and the feet flapping underneath. Many people I've talked to were like, yeah, I wasn't okay <laughs> while I was in med school or residency, but I didn't tell anyone. For me, it took a tipping point. Uh, I've, I've given a talk about this in the past and for you, likely it did as well to the point that you ended up asking for help or 
getting help without even asking for it because it's that extreme. I hit a tipping point where I finally asked for help and I'm in such a different place than I was because of that. It's just admitting that you're not doing okay. And I bet 95% of the people in your situation are also not feeling like they're doing okay, even though you think it's just you. And why is everyone else doing so great? So I, I want to throw that out to any other training programs, how important it is for training doctors like us who are going to come out and take good care of patients, but also be writers, be podcasters, spreading important stories like this. That is in part because we were raised in environments like that in a residency program that cares. You mentioned in a recent article that you wrote for Humans in Healthcare, a way out. And I would love for you to go back to childhood. I always like to say the way I grew up was the best thing that ever happened to me. We were very poor. So it was my mom, who is my best friend, my hero. I love her to death. But she was raising my two sisters and I. It was her, herself, and her, basically. She had a cleaning job, and so she owned her own business, but high school education, and that was it. We were the very typical single mom family. We just didn't have a lot of money. We were on welfare. We moved a lot. There was always concern about paying the bills, paying the rent. You know, and I just did not like that way of living. I really didn't enjoy it, as I'm sure most people don't. And that's not a knock on my mom. She did the best she could. She gave up so much for my sisters and I. And, But I remember from an early age, I just said there was so much lack and no security. I just always felt fearful about moving and switching schools and, and things like that. I always questioned, was this normal thoughts to have at 10 years old? But I was like, I just don't want my life to be this way. I've got to do something to get out of this. My ultimate goal is to help my mom. I just want to help her so she can not stress and worry. And so I just got motivated in that way, but I had no idea how to do it. Nobody in my family went to college. That was all I knew was just being very humble and poor. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but I wanted a way out so bad. So the universe has a funny way of putting the right people in your life at the right time. My aunt had met a guy who now is my uncle. It was just harmony at day one. This guy was college educated. He was humble. He made good money. He was hardworking. He was the most honest person I've ever met. It was like I saw him for the first time and he had a glowing halo around him. I was like, this is it. And he did everything that I wanted. And he mentored me and he groomed me. I remember when I got into high school, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't even think about college, let alone medical school. And he pretty much put me on the track to go to college, which was never a thought I had. And so I got into college with his help and I worked extremely hard and I did really well in college because I really liked learning. I always did. I just didn't believe in myself, but he helped me believe in myself. But also a lot of where I'm at today is because I learned so much from how I grew up. I learned to work hard. I learned to appreciate what I have because mm. I didn't have a lot. On my 16th birthday, I went out to Culver's and got a job so I could help pay bills. I would go to school during the day and then I would work at night and then I would turn over most of my money to my mom because we just needed to pay bills. There's a lot of that that really just instilled in me appreciation for where I'm at, what I have, what I didn't have, and what I want in life and a lot of gratitude for where I came from. I, I don't think I would be here today. If I grew up having the, a lot more privilege and, and money and a lot of other resources, I honestly don't think I'd be here right now. Mm -hmm. So I have yeah. those two things. I have my uncle and I have my background that really, I think, catapulted me. Those are huge events in my life. And when I interview places and those are the two things I touch on the most is I'm very grateful for growing up poor, which a lot of people would be like, wait, what? It's great. I love that because 
like you said before, there's nothing wrong with that. It reminds me of the Seinfeld uh, episode talking about someone being gay. And they say, not that there's anything wrong with that. And that this was back in the 90s, but it's a circumstance, right? And right. just like you and I both being white men, that is a circumstance. We cannot change it. We did not choose it. Right. You being a white man does not mean you grew up with money, but some people will presume it did. Regardless, it's a circumstance and all we can do is control the way that we behave as a result of it and the things we're willing to talk about and the things we're willing to acknowledge about other people's circumstances and how those are different than ours and how not everyone starts at the same point and with the same resources. But like you said, because you had those certain circumstances, they may have given you resources that you think you may not have gained otherwise if you were in a more comfortable situation, if you were less right. driven to find that way out, to find a, a job that has a, a secure, very decent salary, for instance. And you mentioned wanting to go into medicine because a lot, like a lot of us do, it's a noble profession that these people are respected. And I do think it is still that way, but a lot of us get in and they're like, oh, wait a minute, this is yeah, not what I thought I was getting, <laughs> especially the folks on the front line during the pandemic. It, it, a lot of people who have experience with being coached or just embracing self-development and wanting to understand how to be more okay with yourself or, or be more of who you actually want to be, you come to understand that there are circumstances and you can't change them. Your circumstances now are different than they were before, but they still are simply circumstances and we have thoughts around them and they in influence our feelings and actions and results and whatever model you subscribe to, that general philosophy is thousands of years old it's nothing new and it but it's so true and it's liberating because you can only control yourself and how you're thinking and feeling and i want to applaud you for first of all uncle mike i want to applaud uncle mike he is that is that's huge and it reminded me when you were saying that of morgan housel a, a wonderful blogger turned author he wrote The Psychology of Money. That's his most famous book, but a new one that came out that I think is becoming even more popular. It's about the things in life that never change. He thinks a lot about like forecasting and, and, and risk and how do we predict what's going to happen. We can't predict what's going to happen, but we can study the things in life because humans are humans and we evolve very slowly that never change. And we can bank on those rather than trying to predict the things that we will never see coming and try to make decisions in that regard that all of our lives hang by a thread in certain points of them. And if your aunt ended up not liking the the shirt that Mike wore the first time <laughs> you saw him, yeah. Mike might have never come into your life. Exactly. Right. And who knows where this conversation certainly wouldn't be happening right now. But mm -hmm. that sort of reflection is important as well, because what if there was no Uncle Mike? So it's a nice way to be grateful for Uncle Mike and know how how lucky you were to have Uncle Mike come around and how that was not predetermined and could have easily not happened. Uh, right. So that's a, a good one for anyone to to check out Morgan Housel's new book. And I appreciate you sharing that part of your story. Is Kalamazoo where you grew up? Is that in the UP or what part of Michigan? No, that's uh, lower. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. He's got yeah, the hand up about all the Michiganders yep. do. The, uh, I'm yep, in. As we do. I am in central Wisconsin right now, so I'm very familiar with this. One of my best friends from college was in my hall in my first first year. His name was David Hilden, and he grew up in Marquette, Michigan. And this Ooh. kid was just the perfect contrast of he was jacked. He had 
<laughs> tattoos everywhere. And then he would poke his head out his dorm and go, Hey, do you want to, do you want to come over and have a cup of tea? <laughs> and it was the, it was just like, that was my introduction to a perfect youper. And I just loved him forever as yeah. a result of that. And that contrast of his body, his physical appearance, and then his yeah. manner of speaking <laughs> and his personality was fantastic. And that was in him since birth. You mentioned uh, the importance of uh, being a good listener as well. You originally thought maybe you'd be a psychologist and you had always yeah. had friends who told you you gave great advice yeah. and were a good listener. Tell me how that has impacted you to this point and influenced what you're doing now. The one quote I want, if my uncle Mike listens to this and he probably will, he said that there's two things you have to do to be successful in college, show up to class and pay your tuition. There which you go. This gets funnier by the day. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do for a career. I, I just listened to people around me that said, yeah, Bryce, when I have problems, I come to you and I, I really appreciate your advice, which I think came from a lot from my background because I had to grow mm -hmm. up pretty fast. But yeah, and I just, there's something to be said. And I get this from my mom about just being a good listener, just hearing people out. There are very few people that really listen. And I think in our job as physicians, you come home exhausted at the end of the day if you really listen to people because it's if you're really listening to what they say and processing and empathizing and hearing them, you will be exhausted at the end of the day mm -hmm. because it takes so much effort. And so I was 18 at the time and my frontal lobe still wasn't fully <laughs> formed. And so I'm like, cool. I love talking to people. I want to help people. And I feel like I could do this because I love giving people advice. I was just going to get my PhD, which seems so far off at that time, but I just started working towards it. And then I took the psychology classes and they were fascinating. I loved them. It was just so cool. College just broke the whole world wide open for me, but Good. I was just having so much fun fun. And then to answer your question in medical school, when you do those OSCEs, those standardized yeah. patients Ugh. and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And, and you watch yourself and it's cringy, but the feedback and even the feedback now, because even in residency, they do these observe like video, like you're in a room mm -hmm. and they're watching you interact with a patient. And I just, that, that's the feedback I usually get is I listen to people. I try and understand people as best mm -hmm. I can. And I just, I find that to be the most important skill we can have is just trying to listen and understand people. And now with the work I'm doing, I really want to get into coaching and I'm doing writing and podcasting. Just like the work I do now as a physician, I contact these people at the most vulnerable points in their life. Very similarly, I want to work with physicians, healthcare workers who are also burned out. And being that I've burned out very bad a few times, I know how dark and vulnerable of a place that is the worst place to be. All I needed during my times of burnout and, and the times that I hit rock bottom is someone to listen to me and understand me. I'm so fortunate in life that I have my mom, my family, and I have the best group of friends in the entire world. I'll put that up against anybody because I have friends that listen to me, care about me and support me. That's why the feedback I get in residency and how I've been able to get to this point is I'm just listening to people. This job is so hard. <laughs> trying to diagnose people is hard. Oh my gosh. But if you don't listen to people and, and try and understand where they're coming from, and they teach you that in medical school, they're like, just listen, they'll tell you yeah. what, what is, and it's so true. It just, the more yeah. you do this, the more they're correct. And, and that, the quote is, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? You should yeah. listen twice as much as you talk. So that's what I try and do. And I think that's why I'm hopefully going to be successful in the work I'm doing, both as a physician and in this new space I'm entering too. I'm just, I, I think I just enjoy listening to people. I love hearing people's <laughs> stories. I love hearing people talk. Yeah. Like it's just, people are fascinating. They really are. They've got so much to share. If you listen. 
You absolutely will be successful in what you're doing. I hope you do become a coach. Physicians are coaches. That That is what we do all day long if we're trying to be true to our job. And if we are listening with the intent to understand and not the intent to just respond. Uh, and that's why there's been these exactly. studies that how fast, how quickly does a typical doctor interrupt the patient uh, in the first uh, part of the encounter. And it's, it was like 12 seconds or something when they did the study. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. If you just bite your tongue and just sit there and let them talk, even if they take a mo <clears throat> moment to gather their breath, the silence is okay. They probably have some more to say, but you and I both know this, the, the next patient who's getting angry because exactly. they're getting behind is in the back of our heads. And then also our paperwork that's getting behind and everything that's piling up, Precisely. especially when you're at the beginning of the day, is always in the back of the head. So that is one thing that almost automatically is going to burn people out in these volume-focused practices. And that's where the insurance system has gotten a lot of us because it's so dependent on the volume of people you can bring through the system. And it's not about the quality of that encounter and the quality of your active listening skills. You are never going to be able to submit a code for <laughs> really strong active listening. So that will never be a thing. So there's always that conflict. And it is not that we are bad people or that we don't care about the person in front of us or just don't want to listen to them. We do want to listen to them. The system is such that it is. it makes it difficult to survive your life if you listen as much as you want to to everyone. But you're right. Sometimes sometimes that can pay off. A little bit of listening can make the rest of the, the visit much shorter because mm -hmm. you gain that trust right at the beginning. It makes a 10-minute encounter feel like 15 minutes or 20 minutes rather than making a 20-minute encounter feel to the patient like two minutes. two minutes. And that's what matters. If you are not listening, no matter how long you're in there, the, the, the review you will get will say, the doctor didn't listen to me and they spent two minutes in the room and you're going to be angry because you knew you were in the room for however long it was, but perception is reality. And that's what matters. And just like it can go off the rails on one end, if you think about it or are intentional about it, you can make it to your advantage. You can make people feel like you were with them for a much longer time than you actually were because they're getting something they're not used to getting from a healthcare professional or from a doctor. So I see that in you. You are a coach already, but it, and in terms of formal coach training to be a coach to other doctors in a more formal way, that is a big thing right now. And I think there's a ton of value in that just because doctors, especially there's a huge trend of women physicians helping other women physicians. And I think this is necessary. Sometimes I get frustrated because it's almost a trope. I'm a woman physician helping women physicians who are right, in this right. specific niche. And, but yeah. I understand why. Yes. So it's, it's my stuff internally. That is the reason I scoff at that. It has nothing to do with them. It's, it's my baggage. And I'm grateful that all that exists. And I think the more people who are there to help in their own specific way, because everyone is going to need to hear it from a different person. And that's why there are so many women who need to hear it from other women. I think you'll be able to contribute a huge amount just by sharing your story as medicine, listening actively to their stories. I want you to be able to tell a little bit more about your breaking point or your tipping point. Do you mind if I read a short passage from an article you wrote? Please. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. My depression, anxiety, and substance use reached a critical point that year. I struggled to a level I didn't know was possible. The problem was that I told nobody about how I was honestly feeling. Whenever friends and family would call, I put on my best act to portray myself as upbeat, positive, and living my best life as a new physician in beautiful Southern California. 
But on the inside, I felt a crushing sense of despair and agony that I would do anything to get rid of. I'm a physician, I thought to myself. Why can't I figure this out? That hit with me, and I know it will with a lot of people, because of our experiences of feeling like we're the only ones who are feeling this way. I had a funny conversation with a fellow dermatologist and wonderful friend of mine who I worked with in Minneapolis. We came to know that we were both feeling that way in medical school. And we joked that it should be like one floor over the cuckoo's nest where they get, you show up and they just give you your pills in the cup and then yeah, yeah. everyone gets an SSRI and yeah. you have to opt yeah, out, right. not, not opt yeah. in. <laughs> and right. it's, That's obviously not a solution to the problem, but it's a way of expressing that it's so much more normal for a, tra- a doctor in training going through that to have a totally screwed up serotonin system and all the other neurotransmitters and you're not getting enough yeah. dopamine or you're getting too much or whatever. And we, we do it in the dark. We keep it to ourselves because we are trying to maintain that image that for the anxious achievers among us, it has defined us our entire life. Succeed. We succeed. We succeed. We succeed. We succeed. And that's how we see value in ourselves. And that's how we think other people see value in us. So the possibility of not succeeding or at least struggling while we're succeeding or trying to succeed is very scary. So there's a lot of fear in that. So you suppress it. Uh, So I am, first of all, thankful for you putting that story out into the universe. As you said, the universe has amazing ways of acting and other people are going to see that and be changed by that. I have absolutely no doubt. So tell me a little bit more about your tipping point, your bottom, the feelings you experienced, the, the people who came to your rescue, anything you're willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you said, a lot of it started in med school and I didn't really know, like I had been pretty good in college. Like I didn't, I wasn't really drinking. I partied like every other mm. college student did. And, but it was never an issue for me. I always got made fun of cause I didn't go out cause I was so focused on school. And, but when I got into med school, obviously the stakes got a lot higher. I showed up at Michigan state and I'm like surrounded by these kids from like UCLA and U of M and like all these, yeah. these brainiacs, just absolute yeah. brainiacs. And I'm like, here I am. I barely got in. I didn't say I barely got in, but I just yeah. didn't even know I wanted to be a doctor until two years ago. So the imposter syndrome started early and I just felt the need to succeed. I'm like, Bryce, I'm so close. I'm You're so close to succeeding. You just got to get through med school and you'll never have to revisit your past again. So I put some immense pressure on myself to succeed. And I did very well in med school. Like I said, I enjoyed it. But as time wore on, like the pressure gets to you, you start to crack. And whether or not you let people know that, I think everybody does. And I remember starting to feel that way. And I just didn't know what I was feeling. I didn't know. I'm like, am I anxious? Am I depressed? And I look back now and it was both of those, but I was just burnt out to no end. And I remember, especially after step one, I was just like that screw everything mentality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm done with this exam and Mm -hmm. I don't care what happens anymore. I knew I was not good in a good mental space, but I didn't have a choice. I got to keep going. That's what everybody else is doing. And that's what's expected of us. So onward and upward, I kept going and I was getting by work hard, play hard. I noticed on the weekends, okay, I'm you know going out a little bit more, drinking a little bit more, but I'm showing up to work and I'm doing great in schools. I'm passing my boards and living large. I finished med school. I did great. And, but then it was time for residency. And I always knew that I, that time was coming because I knew I was, I matched early for the military residency and I was going to be in Southern California, almost 2000 miles away from home. And, Mm. and I never left Michigan. I traveled a lot, but I never lived away from home that far. Michigan state was like an hour and a half from home. I just knew I was somewhat dreading that. I also 
just was very unsure about the pressures of being an intern. And the perfect storm had started. I showed up there and a whole nother topic is being a physician in the military. It's quite different than being a physician in the civilian world. You have to wear the uniform. There's a lot that comes with that. They have their own laws for crying out loud. Hmm. You know, they, it's not the, it's the UJMC. It's, the, it's their laws. It's their rules in their world. It's not like it is out here. It's a completely different planet. So I had all those pressures, how to salute, how to wear my hair, make sure my uniform looks good. And then on top of that, I was an intern working 80 hours a week. And so I just started to not do so well. I was far from home and I, and I really just didn't have my support system out there. I started doing the intern thing and it was okay at first, but the more, as more and more time went on, I started to burn out really hard and those feelings of anxiety and depression just got heavier and heavier. And subsequently on the weekends, especially my drinking got exceedingly high because I was just trying to numb those feelings. I didn't know what to do. I had some healthy coping mechanisms. I was working out during the week and I've always been good about eating, but I needed something quick to fix what was going on in my brain. I just didn't have a lot of time. I felt to do anything else. And then the other part that you alluded to, Stephen, was I'm like, I, I'm a doctor. Like, why can't I figure this out? What is going on with me? I figured out everything in my life to get here. I somehow came from poverty to get into college and med school. And, and I did all that. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why can I not do this? And I'm, I'm like so frustrated. And so that's just adding to it, right? That's just making it so much worse. But I faked. It. I didn't make anybody the wiser. Like you said, my, my mom would call who I know I can tell anything to. I joke, but I could call my mom from a cell in Mexico and say, mom, I tried smuggling two kilos of Coke. <laughs> yeah. And she would say, what do you need me to do? I, she wouldn't care. But yeah. I just, I didn't want to worry people back home. So I lied. I lied to everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm great. I'm fine. It's beautiful out here. I drive this nice car, making good money. I'm just perfect. And then I would hang up the phone and break down in tears. And time went on and then people started to notice I was absent from work a little bit more and I just wasn't myself. And I was like, oh boy, people are really starting to notice. My roommates at the time, are you okay? You're drinking a lot. And so I'm fine. Leave me alone. Eventually it got to a point I had finished my intern year and I had started my first month of second year and I was on OB and it was an extremely intense rotation with a lot of intense feedback, long hours and everything else. And I just hit this point with my drinking and my anxiety and depression that I felt like I, I didn't know what else to do. And so I made a really bad choice and I had an alcohol related incident at work because of my drinking, which yeah. I've moved on from the shame and guilt from that because I know I ultimately am somebody that did what a lot of physicians do, which is how they struggle with substance abuse and that substance use bleeds over into work. I'm certainly not proud of what I did, but I just didn't know what else to do at the time. And I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I'm fine with being vulnerable and I want to share my story. I've mm -hmm. showed up to work from a long night of drinking, still intoxicated. Yeah. And, and you hear about this all the time. Physicians, sure. this does happen all the it's time. It's not just not you. Normal. Yeah. It's not yeah. right, but it's, it, and yeah. it's, I say this just to, cause I know somebody that listens to this may have done yeah. or is doing the same thing. And I, I just yeah. don't want what happened to me happen to them. So I got caught and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. There have been some immense consequences. I have paid mentally, physically, emotionally for the choice I made. And, but it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Even after that happened, I got in trouble and they sent me home and I went home and tried to numb myself. And that was the next day when I just knew I can't do this. I woke up the next day. I was crying in my bed. I was catatonic, depressed. And I just called my mom. I called my two best friends and my older sister. And I said, I can't get out of bed and I need you guys here. 
And that was it. They hung up the phone, got the next flight. And within a day, they were there and they helped me get through that. And, and what a dark time in my life. And that's why I say I, I put my friends and family up against anybody in the world because they're the best. In my, in my darkest time, I got kicked out of the Navy. I got kicked out of my residency and it was like the worst time in my life. And I've, I've, I was, I'm facing some serious, I was, not anymore, but facing some serious licensing issues, right? Because us physicians are held to extremely high standards and they find out everything. And it's just three years of hell that I've been through with that. And to some degree, I'm still facing those consequences. And, Mm -hmm. and so I don't want anybody to go through what I've been through. I don't want you to go through that anxiety and depression. I don't want you to go through that substance abuse. I don't want you to get kicked out of your residency or lose your job. I don't want you to have to stand in front of a licensing board. I don't want you to do any of this, to lose your life because you're struggling, because you're not able to be honest and speak up and say how you're doing. Now I'm sober and I'm in a monitoring program. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother animal. There's these state monitoring programs and I'm in one because of that. But my friends and family came, they pulled me out of bed. I did what I had to do. I got the help I needed. It was hard, extremely hard. So I would just say, try not to get to that point because it's extremely (laughs) difficult to come back from. And, and I'll say this to close There's hope. If you mess up, And we all make mistakes. We all do. The question is, do you get caught in the mistakes you do? The commanding officer of the hospital at the time, when I had to meet with her, because, yeah, I was a bad boy, Mm -hmm. and I got to go straight up to the CO. And she was very compassionate. She said, Bryce, 30% of the people here have done the same thing you do. I just need your help trying to figure out how to get to them before they do what you did. And so that was really powerful. But Ultimately, she said, yeah, you're out of here. I moved home. I got back into residency. This program took me and they have been wonderful. There is a second chance for you. If anyone's out there has has happened the same thing, people deserve second chances. And I think in this world, people are becoming more forgiving. It's been hard. Don't get me wrong. Mm. There's a lot of hoops I've had to jump through. A lot of lawyer fees. Here we are. I made it. I'm about to graduate residency. So there's hope for sure. That's an uh, incredible story. Your courage for sharing it is something to be applauded. Your courage for getting through it is amazing. So many things that you had to pay for. You did not skate by in any way, shape, or form on this. You made a choice, as you said, and you faced the consequences. They were major, but and you asked for help. It's so important that you have that family and friends, even though you were hesitant to go to it before you were at rock bottom. I imagine now you wish you had, but you didn't have it in you at that point. And you wanted to keep up this facade. And I felt that way in my life as well. It's not until you are in tears, you no longer have any defenses up and you don't feel like you can do anything else. That's when some people reach out for help, but some people don't have that network and they will get to bottom. And then who do they call? They they don't have anyone to call. I especially feel like for men, because I, I think men talking to men who, who are physicians about stuff like this is critical because just like women, we have different circumstances and unique situations about us. Men struggle in general with friendships, especially a lot of men. And I, I include myself here. The quantity of high quality, deep friendships that women tend to have. That's a generalization, but it's true as a generalization. And men are at higher risk when they hit those areas of leaning on maladaptive coping mechanisms and not having someone to call when they are 
either close to the bottom or actually bottomed out like you did. And the fact that you've had those friends, you invested in those friendships, you mm -hmm. listened to those people. So they cared about you. You were a good right. friend to them. So they yeah. wanted to be a good friend to you, the law of reciprocity. And had you not been that person who was like, Bryce, you give really good advice. You should become a psychologist. That's part of why you had such great friends and still too to this day. And I want other men to hear that things might be awesome right now, but things aren't always going to be amazing and invest in your friends. And if you feel like you don't have any friends right now and you're an adult, there are systematic ways that you could make friends if you just try it. And it may right. sound corny, but it's so important. It's just like investing in your health, your sleep, nutrition, anything else. Quality of relationships is so important. And I know that men struggle with this on average more than women. And a lot of men have, I think Michael Hyatt, have a lot of deal friends, but not real friends. And right. men, we love banter. We love to do deals. We let, and we have all these little more superficial connections, but not real friends that we think we can pick up a phone and say, hey, I am in trouble. I need your help. And I'm not giving you anything in return right now. I yeah. just need your help. <laughs> and right. that is huge. I'm just so grateful that you had those people in your life. I'm grateful that other people know about your story, that the CEO, she knew she had to kick you out of the program, but she also reached out to you to normalize it and said, you got caught, but you are not the only one making these choices. And I want your help in figuring out how we can make this less of a problem and how we as an institution, as a culture, where are we implicit in this, in, in driving people to make these type of choices? She showed great leadership there, even though she still did what she had to do. And that then you found yourself way to this residency program where we have so much in common there. I was attracted to Stanford because at my interviews, I think I was so nervous because I liked the program so much from the day it started. And I started meeting these people and I was starting thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't get to come here, I'm going to be really disappointed. And I had what felt to me like a, a genuine panic attack in two of my interviews. Thankfully, we had 11 interviews. The, the, it's, it's a crazy day, but I basically blacked out. I wasn't able to tell my story. <laughs> Heart was racing and you get to that point where your mouth dry, you just can't talk anymore. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I recovered in both of those interviews, but I, and I still have the paper to this day. I wrote down next to two of the 11 or so interviews, panic attack. And <laughs> a couple of days later, I reached out to both all of the faculty members who were in those two interviews and I emailed them and I said, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I feel like I had a panic attack during our interview and it wasn't me who was there. And I, one of them was like, totally get it. No worries. It, it happens all the time. The other one said, I didn't notice. And th th But what the, I, they copied Dr. Kristen Nord, the program director on that email. And as soon as I saw that, I arrogantly, I guess, at looking back, but I was like, I'm in. And it yeah. wasn't because I did that as a slimy tool of, I'll use authenticity as a way of getting what I want. But right. it was the vulnerability and the authenticity that I showed from, I was really awkward. I want to apologize to these people. They saw something in me perhaps that was like, dermatology at Stanford is the freaking world series all-star game of medical right. students. And it is horrifying. And the application packets that they go through, I can't even imagine what it's like seeing the accomplishments of these people and having no clue how to say this incredibly accomplished person is slightly less than this one. So that's my advice that I give to applicants is 
tell your story. (laughs) You have a story that is yours. And that's the only thing you have that differentiates you from anyone else in this room. And that is what you need to tell and share. And I bet that made an impact when you shared your stories in residency and it gave you something to talk about also, which is great. It's nice to not just be like, I like taking care of people. And I, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That second time. So this between getting in my, out of my first residency and into my second one, I was nervous because I'm like, I'm in the national practice. This is out there. And so the only way I could proceed forward was I just have to own this. Um, Hide from it. I don't hide from it. And I, I'm, I do med school interviews. I just did some residency interviews. And the ones that stand out the most are you can, it's not hard to tell when people are not being honest and authentic. And I just went in, I'm like, I don't know. I wrote my personal statement where I just laid out pretty much what I just said to you yeah. because I, <clears throat> what do I got to lose? And I got 20 interviews. I was like, yeah. whoa. And I didn't expect that. I was like, man, if I get two, yeah. I'll be lucky. But I was so surprised. And then when I interviewed at this program I'm at now, and it was like every program that I met, I, that I was met with, hey, you did what you did, but you're human. You made a mistake. And it'd be different if I was like, yeah, whatever. But I owned it. And I told my story, yeah. the whole shebang. And I think if you do that with anything in life, you people will see that. And people want to help you and believe in you yeah. that. If you're authentic and genuine, you deserve a second chance and because you are going to make a mistake in life, probably a big one at some point, unfortunately. And it's so important to own up to it, but also use it, turn your mess into a message, right? And and bring that forward. And that's what I did. And I got a second year spot. It couldn't have been better. I was going to have to restart as an intern, which would have sucked, but you know, I got a second year and had a great program. Who would, who could have written this up? Nobody. No. And those are the best stories, right? Fact is stranger and more fascinating than fiction. I love the make your mess, your message. Robin Roberts, I think that is. It's so important and humans are drawn to stories. We connect with each other through story. Stories that have conflict in them and ups and downs and often and anticipation of what's going to happen next. An interviewer who has five minutes with you and is interviewing this huge slew of very accomplished people is naturally, because they're human, going to remember that as opposed to going to remember, okay, 262 on step one, and they played piano and violin in a concert orchestra and straight A's through med school, et cetera. You get it. Disclaimer here. Bryce and I are not saying intentionally (laughs) F up so that you have a good story to tell. (laughs) That is not authentic. Don't do it. (laughs) That is not authentic. And we're not saying this is the strategy that you need to, this is not about (laughs) tactics about getting into medical school and residency. It is helpful in all parts of life to own who you are because you are the only person who is you. And that is the only thing you have that separates you from other people. And it's the biggest gift you can give other people. And it's also easiest. It takes so much energy to be someone else or be someone you aren't and you can't sustain it. But when you're stepping into your own authenticity, it's easy. You and I could continue. We're not, we're going to start to wrap this up soon, but we continue talking for yeah. another two hours just about Easily. who we are and our stories. And I'll have you back for that purpose. But especially as doctors, patients need to see that we are also humans. And as soon as you recognize them as human and show them that you're also human, that goes a long way in establishing that therapeutic relationship and trust. That's a lot of, that's a lot of my mission right now with my direct care practice. I'm trying to use that model as a way of both having a sustainable and happy and joyful life in medicine, which is what I want, and restoring for uh, people who are going to trust their care in me, uh, that trust that's been eroded over the last few decades and the, the, the 
genuinely therapeutic physician-patient relationship. And that's a relationship. So it's both ends. It has to be, they have to feel it from you just like you're feeling it from them. And I see you being very much in that same wavelength of how you are helping your patients and how you're going to be able to help your fellow colleagues. I want to ask a few things that we've talked a lot about stories so far. Mm -hmm. My vision for this podcast is part roadmap, part inspiration. And we've done a lot of story and inspiration so far. And I want to talk a little bit more about roadmap. For me, this is the Direct Care Derm podcast. I was abruptly terminated without cause from my job in August of 2023. I thought I would have that job for as long as I wanted it. That, that turned out not to be the case. We don't. I'll go into the details of that on another show and with anyone who wants to talk about it. And I've talked about it in other forums, but that launched me into this entrepreneurial journey that I knew I would be on eventually. It just, I didn't know I'd be on it so quickly. And we have to think about a lot of different stuff than just go in the room and, and take care of the patient when we're doing things that are our own. You have the badge of burnout. You now have your podcast. I'd love for you to talk about how that's changed you. What areas of your life have you noticed that, oh, I got to get better at this, or I, I actually suck at this a little bit, and I'm going to need to improve in this area. This morning, I totally screwed up our timing. We said we were going to be at a certain time. I did the central to eastern time zone flipped in my head when we were scheduling yep. it. So yep. in my head, we were meeting at 9.30 my time, but we were actually meeting at 7.30 my time. Yeah. And you were so gracious about that. But on my end, I also had to like, okay, don't panic, but figure this out. My son was home from school this morning, but he has what is likely (laughs) fifth disease or erythema infectiosum, slap cheek disease, his bright red. And he got kicked out of school yesterday and they said he couldn't come back until the rash is gone. And we have a plumber here and my wife and I are trying to organize who's, when are we going to work? It's got a home day. Who's going to work now? And we did it. We came together and you, your compassion, you pushed the the timing of the episode back a half hour or so and we made it work. But that's because... I'm scheduling it and I suck at scheduling. I'm not, that's not my zone of genius. I'm working on it, but I don't ultimately want to be always doing that. And that's one of the first things I'll end up delegating. But tell me what you've learned uh, and reflect specifically on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a fascinating thing. You mentioned uh, you dusted off your LinkedIn. Tell me what you thought about LinkedIn a year ago and what you think about LinkedIn now. I remember when I was 18 years old, so that was 16 years ago, someone told me they're like, you should get a LinkedIn. And I'm like, that is the dumbest idea. <laughs> Corny, right? Yeah. 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 I'm like, I am not going to do a LinkedIn. And and she said it at the time. And then now to this day, I, I look at her and I, I just want to, I don't, I you know I haven't reached out to her in a while, but I'm yeah. like, you were so ahead of your time. Honestly, I forgot my LinkedIn was even a thing. I just, I had no idea. But with recently, like I said, the universe just has a funny way of pointing you in the right direction. And I had some physician coaching and I was pointed towards pursuing my passions in this realm of physician wellness and burnout. And my coach was on LinkedIn, all these other people are on LinkedIn. And then I got sucked up into this entrepreneurial space too, where I'm trying to grow a little bit of a brand and a business. And and then I just started asking people, hey, where are you at? Like, where are you trying to grow yourself? And LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn, I'm like, oh geez, okay. And I'm Honestly, it's just been, it's been like mercurial in a way. It's just, whoa, I've really taken off in terms of my connections. And a lot has to do with SOMI docs and stuff like that, that it's been great. But that in and of itself has its own learning curve. I I really had to bust down on the skills of, I looked at other people's profiles. I looked at your profile, I remember, Stephen, and I'm like, how do I get my profile to look 
anything remotely like this. And, and the other thing I really had to do was I just started reaching out to people, right? Like just cold connecting with people yep. saying, Hey, you're doing this. How are you doing this? Do you have 15 minutes of zoom coffee? And can we meet and talk? I'm reading a book, rich dad, poor dad. And I've posted a few times about it. And this is always something I've said is I tend to surround myself. I joke about this with my friends. I'm like, Oh, I only have friends. One's got a lake house. One's got a bow once just cause they've got these, di which is a total yeah. joke. But also yeah. it, the point is I, I surround myself with people in both like work and life that have a certain skill set because I don't have that skill set. Mm -hmm. And like you said, <clears throat> scheduling, I would be horrible at scheduling yeah. or even like marketing, advertising, boy, when I, if I get that big, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to need some help there. And so learning that about myself and understanding while at the time I'm still trying to work on those skills, I still, I, I understand where my zone of genius is. And it's definitely not a lot of those things. I'm good at some things. Definitely. I'm finding out, yeah. but and man, when you step into this entrepreneurial space, especially online, there's so much to learn. You learn one thing and all, the only thing that does is open up six open more up. roads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, oh man, but it's a labor of yeah, love. I enjoy is. it. What I like to think about in terms of there's always so much more and how I frame that for myself so it doesn't feel as overwhelming. I used to remember playing video games as a kid and you have the little map in the corner and like a Zelda game or something and you would go through, the map would be blank and each room you went in, it would open up a little yes. bit of the map. Yeah. So the, each time you, it, that wasn't necessarily for the game, but in this game, each door you open and room you go in and you light up a little more of that map, you get to see all this stuff, but the map also gets bigger. So yes. you're, yep. you're always going to feel that way. If you step back and look at your map is 20 times as big as it was six months ago, even True. though just as high of a percentage of it is dark, but you have access to so much more and you know what you didn't know before and you made this connection. And now you and I are talking, Dr. Coriel, the founder of Doctors on Social Media, she's an amazing connector and an artist Incredible. and a wonderful physician and always like to give credit where credit is due. And I'm fortunate that I met you that way. And I'm glad that I took the time to hear your story and learn your story. Real talk. When I first saw you, I, I was like, okay, Bryce, he's a resident and already talking about burnout. What's the deal with that? You're still a resident. And, and, yeah. but, <laughs> now, but now I know you're, and I felt burned out as a resident, but I wasn't necessarily talking about it, but that doesn't, that was on me. Uh, but you have such a story and it's obvious to me now. And it's, of course, you're talking about this and you're helping people by doing that. But I only have that understanding because we had a conversation and I got yeah. to know you rather than making judgment, like snap judgments about right. seeing your photo and, and where you are in life. So I'm grateful for that. You got to delegate eventually and you get figure out whose zone of genius is the scheduling, whose zone of genius is the spreadsheets, whose zone of genius is marketing. I'm working with a, a branding and marketing agency right now and having a wonderful time doing that. I could do it on my own, but I don't know what I don't know. I depend on people for my livelihood to pay me, compensate me for my expertise. So for yes. me to be so arrogant that I don't think I should pay other people for their expertise in any part of my life is crazy. So that, good, that reframe, point. thanks, that reframe is helpful to me and it costs money and invest in yourself. It's the best investment exactly. you'll ever make. Businesses require investing. You can run lean. You don't have to go hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt to start a small business, but they do require investment of time, energy, and money. That's just such a such an important thing to remember. And I love that you said, as I'm growing a brand, branding is so important. Branding is another thing that like LinkedIn, 
people are like, oh, brand, I don't have a brand. Doctors oftentimes run away from that. We all have a brand. <laughs> if you don't think we you have a brand, it's someone else is making your brand for you or the act of you thinking you don't have a brand is making your brand for you and it's not a great brand. So all of us as doctors have a brand, even if we're employees and we think we might be for our whole life, we still have a brand and I still advise you to cultivate that brand while you're an, still an employee because you own the means of production. If all of a sudden you're for some reason not wanting to be employed anymore, having cultivated your brand from the beginning will be very beneficial in you getting patients in the door and doing your own thing or getting coaching clients or whatever it is. I love the LinkedIn thing because LinkedIn is such a, it's such a, it's kind of like cilantro. Like some people are like, yeah, LinkedIn, of course. And, and it's like, you, you you don't need a hammer or you don't know why you need a hammer until you find a nail, right? Or until you yeah, see a right. nail. LinkedIn is not for the same things that Instagram is for, the same thing that TikTok exactly. is for. So if you are using these social media platforms as a way of building your brand and growing your business, they are each for different things. And you are going to get way more out of it if you understand what the platform is for and how it's valuable. And I have found LinkedIn as a great place to establish myself, a great place to invest the most time at the beginning of building my business because I need to make those B2B connections. I need to be connecting with other doctors like you. I want patients who come across me say, hey, who's this Lois guy? It seems like I could get an appointment with him in two days, but what's his deal? And because of those connections I've made and then appeared on someone else's podcast or been in a right. blog, th those patients will have a way of interacting with me that way. And I've already started to build that trust and that awareness of myself. So that's right. where I'm starting. I love that you're on TikTok. I think we should do a TikTok together at some point. I'm that's on, but not idea. on because I never do one. But I think we could do this. And one idea, let's just bookmark it. Jada Pickett-Smith did that like red table talk. Did you ever see that? She had a talk show and uh -huh. she had, look it up. She had a red table. And I think it was symbolic of her having really vulnerable, meaningful conversations with other women, I presume. Maybe other men, actually. But the... This conversation, especially between two men, just going deep like this, it happens, yeah. but it's not happening enough. And especially between two physicians and our version of red table talk, especially doing something like that on TikTok, where younger, like Gen Z physicians, that kind of That's thing could idea. see it. I think yeah. it could uh, be very valuable. You sharing your story about that choice you made, me sharing a story, bring putting our shame out there. I'll close with one story again about Stanford. I because I wasn't, my mental health issues weren't yet addressed and treated and I was struggling. I had a very hospitable residency program, but I wasn't seeking help. I wasn't at the, I didn't have the courage yet to seek help and I was doing fine. I was taking good care of patients, getting fine evaluations, but I hated being on call. Part of why I'm a dermatologist, let's be honest, yeah. but we took turns being on call and every time we were on call, we held a pager and we came into the hospital and took care of patients in the hospital and we took, we went to the emergency room to see patients, we took calls, et cetera. And I always dreaded those weekends and I wish I had the mindset skills that I do now to turn that around a little bit, but I dreaded them. And I was running around at Stanford Hospital, chicken with my head cut off, and I was really stressed out. And I pulled out my phone to text my wife and just vent. And I said something like, it's been a really rough weekend. And then I said, and a not very helpful attending or something like this. And what did I do? I sent that to the attending. Oh. And it was before the days of edit, uh, yeah, delete, unsend text. <laughs> yep. Before those days. And I saw that in the hospital and I just put my head down. I made a choice. I didn't realize yeah. I was doing that, but just like you didn't realize I made a choice to 
be so angry in the moment and not have control over my emotions to not even look who I was sending the message to. I was just rage texting basically. And yeah. And as soon as I apologized, of course, but what is it? It's not going to feel very authentic (laughs) right right after you're (laughs) trashing your superior. Uh, Right. And she was cordial, but it wasn't great. And I was called into the CEO's office (laughs) for that, Dr. Nord. And she is amazing. We had a wonderful relationship. And all I remember from that meeting, other than me feeling extreme shame and embarrassment, was her saying, Stephen, what's going on? It's just, it's it's not you to to do something like that. And that's all I'll remember. And I credit her for saying that and not just getting angry at me and saying, we cannot have residents like this, that sort of thing. And we worked through it. But that is those stories, they happen to everyone. And if, yes. if you're a person who doesn't have any stories like that, okay, then you don't have anything to share in your interview and you probably don't need a leg up in the process yeah, anyway. Exactly. But, yeah. but just uh, especially men sharing them with other men and becoming friends through that process and gaining, increasing that network of real friends, not just deal friends, is something that I feel like you and I could could cultivate together and Absolutely. and build our brands together. We're at similar points in our career. We're not yeah, very we far off. Yeah. You're going to have strengths that I don't and vice versa. And we could, I love working with, my LinkedIn post today is about working with people who have complementary strengths to me. If you're a spreadsheet person, you shouldn't surround yourself with spreadsheet people. <laughs> you should have yeah, a exactly. person who you loves wheeling and yeah. dealing and a person who yeah. loves scheduling, et cetera. I will let you close with any final words you may have with the caveat that I'm absolutely going to beg you to come back in a few months or so to continue this conversation. And if you want to tell anyone where they can reach out to you, that'll be in the show notes as well. Yep. But tell anyone where they can best connect with you thanks this has been great and like you said at the beginning like this is going to fly by and it did i can't believe we've already been going for an hour and 20 minutes but exactly if you are struggling if you're going through something if you feel like something is wrong i just encourage you to seek some help and whatever help that is you can reach out to me i know i'm a complete stranger but i'm more than happy to guide you but a friend a family member a therapist whoever it is because Our job is extremely difficult and stressful, Mm -hmm. and there are so many demands on us, and we often aren't taught the coping skills that we need. That's all I want from from what happened to me is that the thing that when people reach out to me and said, your story helped me, that's if I did it for one person, I'm good, but I want to help more people. I don't want anybody to go through what I did. So that's my big ask is just please be mindful of how you're doing and have the courage and the strength to come forward and just say, I need some help because we all do need help at some point in our life. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'd say that's the main way to connect with me. I do have an Instagram. It's at Dr. Bryce Bowers. TikTok. Yeah, let's do the TikTok. And then my blog is Badge of Burnout. The whole point of that is to get us to stop wearing our burnout as some badge of honor because yeah. we're we, it's 2024. We're over that now. Yeah. And then my podcast too. Those are ways to connect with me. I'm on Somi Docs as well. So lots of ways to connect with me. And I really hope I, I, if you want to work together, you want to be on my podcast, you want to write a blog piece with me. If you just want to chat, I'm open to any and all, but please connect with me, follow me, join me, help the movement, help us get better. That's all I got. Beautiful. Thank you, Bryce. Uh, As Dr. Todd Otten, who I imagine you've come across on LinkedIn, he wrote a book. I just uh, had a meeting with him the other day. Beautiful. Zoom coffee, right? Uh, His book is called Ripple of Change. And that metaphor, I spoke to Dr. Desai uh, in recent conversation for this show uh, about that, where it's a huge fight and it feels sometimes it can feel like 
voting, like what is my vote count? But what is it? What does it mean when you when nobody votes? And so throw the throw your stone into the ocean or into the pond right. and, and make that ripple, and you have no idea whose ripple that is going to bump up against. And the ripples add there; it's all added to everyone. Physics, I don't know. And that is just something that's really important to remember. Don't get overwhelmed by the size of the problem. Civil rights battle, for instance, it is ongoing. It is a much bigger battle, longer battle than any of the, the lives of any of the individual participants. But that doesn't mean that the work that is done is in vain and shouldn't be done. I remembered one thing because you mentioned coping mechanisms that I just remembered mm -hmm. from the beginning of this show because it was a little chaotic at the beginning here because of my scheduling snafu and my son is home from uh, school. He came in from the other room. He was originally going to sit right by me in my office. He came in from the other room right when we were about to get started. And I told him, I just, I need some, a little bit of time. And he came in with the, he's playing this dinosaur game and he just had one more dinosaur to show me. And my response to him immediately was, I said, Stellan, I, I told you. And you, I saw the look in his face and just like the light go out of his yeah. eyes. And I said, yeah. no, but buddy, come here, come here. I said, I'm daddy. Sorry. That was what I want to see the dinosaur. Show me. And he just goes, show me. He goes, that was just the last one I wanted to show you. And then he smiled. Just so that's my, we're all works in progress, right? I still, the, the space between stimulus and response, the more sort of therapy for me, but whatever you do, self-work you do to make that, to create that space and then be able to recognize that and not have that immediate response of, of frustration. But as things add up, like it did for me this morning, you're still going to screw up sometimes. And I screwed up there, but I repaired it immediately. And I, I wasn't having this sinking feeling of, oh my gosh, I just was terrible to my son through this interview. And then go apologize to him 90 minutes later when he's totally forgotten about it. Yeah. I repaired it immediately in that moment because I know how kids are and we're fine. Uh, and I'm going to go hang out with them now. We have tons more to talk about. People will check you out on Badger Burnout. Is your podcast also the same name? It is. Yep. Okay. Great. Yeah, to bring great. Out the podcast. Great. 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 Uh, and we will uh, follow you on uh, TikTok and Instagram and connect on LinkedIn if anyone wants to connect with Bryce. And uh, plenty of stuff will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bowers. You are still in residency. You're working really hard. And for you to take this time with us uh, to share is wonderful. And stay in the, do you know the gap in the game? That's another Dan Sullivan, I Ben do. Hardy yes. book. Do that as you're approaching the end of your residency. You have come such a long way. <laughs> And don't just let that residency graduation come and go and on to the next thing. So recognize right. how far you've come, stay in the game. And I've learned a ton from you. I feel energized by this interview. And I know the listeners will as well. And I think we did a, a good amount of inspiration and a little bit of uh, roadmap as well. And we'll continue to do more. Uh, I'm thinking about when I have guests back later on who, uh, for follow-ups, we could choose one or two topics to do a deep Great dive idea. like Branding, marketing, legal, whatever it happens to be. What do you do when you have to call in front of the medical board? Yeah. Your boy. Talk I was also, <laughs> I had a medical, I had a meeting in front of the medical board meeting as a medical board because they, they delayed the renewing of my license because of this without cause termination. I did nothing wrong. It was super easy. Ended up meeting being, was really easy, but I was in this stage of, oh my God, this is terrifying because I had no, they just said, you have a meeting. They didn't say why or anything like that. And that's really scary for people. I think some people don't even know that their malpractice insurance typically covers an attorney to be present with you at 
a meeting in front of the medical board and I had an attorney with me and I didn't pay for it. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't talk to someone on LinkedIn, probably to be honest, or listen to a podcast. So we could talk about any number of those things. I wish you uh, a great day. And we, I bet could connect in person at some point because we are not very far away from each other. I'm hoping so, Dr. Loaz. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, Bryce. Have a good day. See ya. You too. All right. And thanks everyone for listening. Hey, Stephen here. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support a podcast is to share, follow, subscribe, and most importantly, leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you're new here, you might not feel ready to leave an honest review yet. That's totally fine. At the very least, keep listening and share it with one person in your life who you think might benefit from it. Thanks for being here. Your attention means the world to me. I'll see you on the next episode. If you like this and want to subscribe to my newsletter, head over to LewellisMD.com. That's L-E-W-E-L-I-S-M-D as in medical doctor.com.